Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we covered the topic of chickenpox or varicella found under the pediatric section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A three-year-old girl is brought to the urgent care clinic for a rash. She attends daycare, where several other children had a similar rash and fever about two weeks ago. The patient began having a fever last night, and the itchy rash erupted this morning on the head and the chest. On physical exam, she has multiple vesicles on her face, chest, and back, as well as excoriations from scratching. The mom is reassured, and the physician informs her to keep the patient away from other children while she is contagious. Let's continue with an introduction to chickenpox or varicella. As a reminder, the varicella zoster virus is classified as an enveloped, linear, double-stranded DNA virus. It is also known as human herpes virus 3. It is transmitted via respiratory secretions and direct contact with skin lesions. It causes chickenpox, herpes zoster or shingles, encephalitis, meningitis, and pneumonia. Prevention for chickenpox is with the live vaccine, which is given to adults and children one year or older. In terms of the demographics, chickenpox is seen in children and encephalitis and pneumonia in the immunocompromised. Risk factors include immunosuppression and sick contacts. In terms of the pathogenesis, the virus infects T cells. The virus can become latent in the dorsal root ganglia or the trigeminal ganglia, and reactivation of the latent virus causes herpes zoster. This is often precipitated by immunocompromise or stress. Moving on to the presentation. Symptoms may include fever and malaise. On exam, one may note an asynchronous vesicular rash. This will be very itchy but not painful. It starts on the head and trunk and spreads to the extremities. And eventually, it develops a crust. In terms of further studies, labs may include a zinc smear, which is positive if multinucleated giant cells are seen. One can also perform polymerase chain reaction and direct fluorescent antibody staining. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about herpes simplex virus, with distinguishing factors being that this typically does not present in a dermatomal fashion. Also think about contact dermatitis. Distinguishing factors for this are that this is typically more itchy than painful. When making the diagnosis, Remember that most cases are clinically diagnosed, but in atypical cases, laboratory examination may be useful. In terms of the management approach, for chickenpox, treatment is centered around symptomatic relief. Conservative options include soothing creams. This is indicated for immunocompetent patients with chickenpox. Medical options include oral antivirals. This is indicated for immunocompromised patients with chickenpox. Specific drugs include valacyclovir, famcyclovir, and acyclovir. Analgesics are indicated for all patients. Remember to not give aspirin, though, due to the risk of Rye syndrome. In terms of post-exposure prophylaxis, patients with immunity, meaning those that have completed age-appropriate VZV vaccinations or documented history of varicella infection, do not require any prophylaxis. For patients with incomplete vaccination, if they are immunocompetent, they should receive the varicella vaccine. If they are immunocompromised, 
pregnant, or other contraindications to varicella vaccination exist, then they should receive the varicella immune globulin. Complications related to chickenpox include disseminated disease. This may occur in immunocompromised patients and often involves the viscera. Other complications include cutaneous scarring. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that chickenpox is often self-resolving in children. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to chickenpox or varicella, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 12-year-old boy is brought to the pediatrician's office by his mother for a checkup. His mother is worried because one of his friends just got chickenpox. The patient was at his friend's house when his friend first developed the rash. The patient denies fever, malaise, or skin changes. He has a history of allergies and eczema, for which he takes a tyrosine. He has completed his childhood vaccination series. The patient's temperature is 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37.0 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 114 over 72. Pulse is 86 beats per minute, and respirations are 16 breaths per minute. Physical exam reveals a well-appearing adolescent boy without any skin rashes. The oropharynx is clear. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Observation Choice 2. Valacyclovir Choice 3. Varicella immune globulin only Choice 4. Varicella vaccine and varicella immune globulin or choice 5, varicella vaccine only. The best answer to this question is, choice 1, observation. This asymptomatic patient presents after an exposure to chickenpox caused by the varicella zoster virus, which should prompt consideration of whether prophylaxis is required. In this patient who is fully immunized against VZV, no prophylaxis is recommended, and he can be safely observed. Chickenpox is a viral infection characterized by prodromal symptoms of fever and malaise, followed by the development of a generalized pruritic and vesicular rash. The rash characteristically progresses from macules to papules to vesicles before crusting over, and lesions are typically in different stages of development. After exposure to chickenpox, the patient should be evaluated for susceptibility to VZV infection. Patients are susceptible if they do not have a documented history of prior VZV infection, laboratory evidence of immunity, such as with IgG antibodies to VZV, or documented history of vaccination. The standard childhood vaccination schedule includes two doses of varicella vaccine, the first at 12 to 15 months and the second at 4 to 6 years. If the patient is not susceptible to VZV, then prophylaxis is not required. If the patient is susceptible but is immunocompetent, then the varicella vaccine should be administered, ideally within five days of exposure. If the patient is susceptible and immunocompromised, pregnant, or otherwise ineligible for vaccination, then varicella zoster immunoglobulin should be administered. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, otherwise known as the CDC, discuss updated recommendations for the use of VZIG. 
the authors find that VZIG can be administered up to 10 days after exposure with comparable efficacy to administration within four days after exposure. The authors recommend that VZIG be given to susceptible individuals who are at high risk for severe infection within 10 days after exposure to VZV. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice two, valacyclovir is an antiviral drug that is usually used for the treatment, not prophylaxis, of select chickenpox cases of symptomatic children at high risk for complications. It is not recommended in symptomatic, healthy patients that are 12 years or younger because VZV infection is usually self-limited in this population. It is also an option for VZV prophylaxis in patients who cannot receive the varicella vaccine or immune globulin. Choice three, varicella immune globulin only is the appropriate prophylaxis regimen for immunocompromised or pregnant patients, as well as those who otherwise cannot receive the varicella vaccine. It is not appropriate for this patient who is fully immunized. Choice four, varicella vaccine and varicella immune globulin are not typically used in combination. If a patient is non-immune and can receive the VZV vaccine, then they should be vaccinated. Otherwise, they would be eligible for varicella immune globulin. Choice five, varicella vaccine only is the appropriate prophylaxis regimen for immunocompetent patients who are incompletely vaccinated. That is, those with less than two doses in school-aged children or adolescents. It is not appropriate for this patient who is fully immunized. Finally, a bullet summary. Post-exposure prophylaxis is not required for patients exposed to the varicella zoster virus who have already received age-appropriate varicella vaccination or have a documented history of varicella infection. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 40-year-old woman presents to the clinic after exposure to chickenpox. Last week, she was visiting a friend and spent time with her friend's six-year-old son. Today, her friend called to tell her that her son had broken out into a rash, which their pediatrician diagnosed as chickenpox. The patient denies any fevers, malaise, or rashes. She received a kidney transplant one year ago and is on tacrolimus, mycophenolate, and prednisone. She does not smoke or drink alcohol. She is unsure about her vaccination history. The patient's temperature is 97.8 degrees Fahrenheit, or 36.6 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 124 over 80. Pulse is 72 beats per minute, and respirations are 16 breaths per minute. Physical exam does not reveal skin lesions or rashes. Varicella zoster virus titers are negative. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And the answer choices are, choice one, administer valacyclovir. Choice two, administer varicella zoster immune globulin only. Choice three, administer VZV vaccine and varicella zoster immune globulin. Choice four, administer VZV vaccine only. Or choice five, reassurance and monitoring. The best answer to this question is, choice two, administer varicella zoster immune globulin only. 
This asymptomatic patient is presenting after an exposure to chickenpox caused by the varicella zoster virus, which should prompt consideration of post-exposure prophylaxis. This patient is immunocompromised, as they are on a post-transplant immunosuppressive regimen and has no evidence of immunity to VZV, so administration of varicella zoster immune globulin is indicated. Post-exposure prophylaxis for varicella zoster virus typically consists of active immunization with the varicella zoster virus vaccine in immunocompetent individuals who do not have evidence of immunity. However, the varicella zoster virus vaccine is a live, attenuated vaccine that is contraindicated in immunocompromised and or pregnant individuals. In the setting of an immunocompromised patient with no evidence of immunity to varicella zoster virus, post-exposure prophylaxis consists of passive immunization with varicella zoster immunoglobulin within 10 days after exposure. Patients who receive passive immunization with varicella zoster immunoglobulin should be followed to assess their eligibility for a varicella zoster virus vaccine at a later point such as after the pregnancy or after they are off immunosuppressive regimens, at least five months after receiving the varicella zoster immunoglobulin. In patients who cannot receive either the VZV vaccine or the varicella zoster immunoglobulin, prophylaxis with acyclovir or valacyclovir may be considered, although there is limited evidence of their efficacy. The publication by Levine et al. studied an expanded access program to provide varicella zoster immunoglobulin to high-risk participants, including immunocompromised patients. The authors found that varicella incidence was not different between those who received VZIG early within 96 hours or late, after 96 hours but within 10 days. The authors recommend post-exposure administration of VZIG within 10 days in high-risk patients. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Administering valacyclovir may be indicated if neither the VZV vaccine nor VZIG is available. However, the efficacy data for this approach is lacking. Since VZIG is available, it is a more appropriate choice for this immunocompromised patient without evidence of immunity. Choice 3. Administering the VZV vaccine and varicella zoster immune globulin is not an appropriate post-exposure prophylaxis strategy. VZIG is only used if the VZV vaccine is unavailable or contraindicated, as in this immunocompromised patient. In an immunocompetent patient for whom the VZV vaccine is not contraindicated, the vaccine should be given instead. Choice 4. Administering the VZV vaccine only is the appropriate post-exposure prophylaxis strategy for immunocompetent patients with no evidence of immunity to VZV. However, the VZV vaccine is a live, attenuated vaccine that is contraindicated in immunocompromised patients. Choice 5. Reassurance and monitoring is an appropriate post-exposure strategy for patients who are not susceptible to VZV infection or who have laboratory evidence of immunity or documentation of prior VZV infection by a healthcare provider. It is not appropriate for this immunocompromised patient who has negative VZV titers. Finally, a bullet summary. For immunocompromised patients without immunity to varicella zoster virus, post-exposure prophylaxis consists of varicella zoster immune globulin. That's all for this review about chickenpox or varicella. We hope that was helpful. 
This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.